0: Join us on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, the big book, cover to cover. This is Michael Easley in Context. Welcome to In Context, as you know, we have just begun our brand new series, The Big Book Cover to Cover, and we've got a new theme song to go along with it. That music is by our good friend and engineer, Chad Cates, and I feel like I need to mention that while Chad has graciously agreed to help us edit In Context, engineering is not actually Chad's day job. Chad is a very well accoladed songwriter and has tons of cuts by lots of people that you Know and listen to. Sayla, Mandisa, Brandon Heath, Andrew Ripp, Matt Wertz. I could go on and on, but this guy has really blessed us adding In Context by agreeing to engineer and edit our program. And I just thought you guys need to know more about Chad Cates. So anyway, we adore him and are grateful for him. And you should go check out some of his music. I know it's all online. I think his website is chadcates.net. And go check it out. You will be blessed by his songwriting. It's incredible. But today, our first bonus episode is being released in the cover to cover series. And while Michael goes through and teaches each book of the Bible in our Tuesday episodes, we will also be releasing occasional Thursday episodes where Michael will have conversations with folks about specific elements from that corresponding book. So for Genesis, we actually will be releasing two bonus episodes. Today's episode, which is a conversation with Dr. Michael Lawson, about the creation of Eve and the first marriage. And then next week, we'll look at Joseph from Genesis 37 to 50 with Dr. Ken Boa. But for now, let's turn to Michael's conversation with Dr. Lawson about Eve, marriage, and how the Genesis text applies to our lives today.
1: Well, welcome to In Context. It's a thrill today to have a dear friend, a brother, uh, Dr. Michael Lawson with us. Dr. Michael Lawson is a full time bass fisherman who, on the side, is the senior professor of educational ministries and leadership at Dallas Theological Seminary since 1986. Man, you're an old guy. I
2: know it.
1: Prior to that, he was 17 years in pastoral ministry and Christian education. And that was in, what, mostly in Oklahoma? Is that right?
2: Yes, all in Oklahoma. Yeah. That's one church.
1: And uh, during my tenure at seminary and my master's program, actually, I, I did not have Dr. Lawson as a professor, but when I went back for my doctoral ministry program, I had finished all my coursework except that little paper at the end. And I was a woe, complaining, whining student trying to finish his doctoral program, the D-Men Project, and ran into Michael Lawson on campus one day, and he said, how are you doing? And I told him. And I just dumped all over him. He, first of all, he regretted he asked me the question. And then secondly, he said, well, Michael, can I help you? And I thought, wow, here's a guy that offered to help me finish my D-men. Fast forward, uh, Dr. Lawson became my uh, primary advisor for my project. And uh, he was a very kind and encouraging uh, a mentor through that maze of academia to get that little check mark at the end. And if memory serves, Dr. Lawson, after we had the final oral review exam with uh, you and a number of other professors, I think you were the first one to say congratulations, Dr.
2: Easley. I believe so. <laughs>
1: and, and it caught me off guard because I wasn't you know, I was like, well, maybe they call you doctor, you know, after graduation or whatever. And that was, I'll never forget that. It was sitting in a room with all these academic types and I'm going Wow, he just called me Doctor Easley. Yes, sir. And then the glow went away right away. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't last long. No, don't. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cindy wasn't going to call me Doctor Easley. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about marriage. So, in this study called the Big Book Cover to Cover, it's been a new challenge for me personally to teach through a book of the Bible each week. So during our planning of the big book cover to cover we said who can we appeal to as a subject matter expert to come alongside and add value uh, in some special areas of interest and so that's one reason we talked to Dr Lawson and Dr Lawson you have some interesting insights on Eve as it pertains to creation yeah. and the marriage partner and this whole motif of you know she ishmaish uh, out of man and uh, so First of all, talk about this idea of suitable helper, which raises the hair on a lot of women's the back of their neck.
2: <laughs> well, the word helper, you know, is is not actually a bad word. You know, the Lord Jesus uses it to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in John's gospel. When he is gonna leave his disciples, he promises to give them another helper. And I'm thinking, Wow, that's a mouthful. Bible uh, with those disciples, I'd have said, hey, 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 wait a minute. You know, you're flesh and blood, and i just as soon you stayed. <laughs> you know, the Holy Spirit's a nice person, I'm sure, but he's invisible. Yeah, well, don't worry. <laughs> uh, he will represent me perfectly, and he will lead you into the things that come. So it's a marvelous uh, word, actually. So it's not Uh, If it's it's good enough to be used of the Holy Spirit, it's probably good enough to be used as a description of what God plans for a companion in life. Let
1: let me read chapter 218 of Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, etzer, suitable to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, those of us that had the privilege of learning Hebrew understand a little bit more about that word, etzer what it means is is not God also called our helper in the Psalms
2: yes he is so it's a a healthy word now it's interesting when a man reads that text he says great I always need somebody to help me get my job done (laughs) but that's not what what's going on here it's not help to get for you to get your job done it's help to get the Lord's will done right And when you when you change it so that we're working together, and and she's helping me, because we together have got to do the Lord's will, and it's clearly outlined in chapter one what they were supposed to do. So they are now implementing the will of God on earth, and He needed someone with Him to help get that job done. So it, it changes it quite a bit when you realize that they're working towards God's will, not just. Whatever the man wanted to get done.
1: When you go back to uh, the passage, and this is another part of your discussion, the helper suitable this uh, special fashioning, and everywhere else in Genesis one and two, the creation description is a different word. And when we come to that word, a special fashioning, help us out there.
2: Yeah, the best I can come up with it is it's like hand handcrafted, because that's the imagery that's painted. Uh, in, in the story, as you know, the man is put to sleep by the Lord, and then the Lord... I mean, this is one of the unique situations in Genesis. Everywhere else, he just speaks things into existence. But here, and in, and in fact, I was trying to think of another occasion prior to Jesus when the Lord God actually comes and does something specific on the earth, and I'm not sure I have one uh, as an illustration. I've, I'm going to read my Old Testament again to see if I can actually find one. But here, he actually is present. He performs this surgery by taking out a rib. And then he's going to step off into the the garden. And he's going to fashion her, handcraft her. This is special. It's interesting that in Corinthians we get the same notion. She is the glory of man. Mm-hmm. So you know she's this final act of creation. She is this special, handcrafted companion for Adam. There are so many phrases here that that are passed over when we read it because we're we're Americans and
1: well, we know the story too well. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And we and we're reading through the Bible in a year, and so you've got to read fast. And we miss phrases like, and he brought her.
1: Right. He took one of the ribs. He closed up the flesh. Yeah. He fashioned. He brought. You know, it's also, if, if my Hebrew recollection, and I have not dug into this in quite a while, uh, the terminology was interesting because the, the, the idea of God forming, the way I've always taught this, and I could be wrong, Dr. Lawson, I envision a Christophany, a theophany, where Jesus Christ is on his hands and knees, fashioning adam yeah. which is a word play on dirt right yeah the adm is that he took the out of the ground out of the adam he makes adam and but when it comes to the woman he chose to use flesh and rib yeah and uh, was it chrysostom mm-hmm. who said uh let us remember god did not take bone from adam's head that she should lord over him nor from his feet that she should be trampled but underneath his arm by his heart underneath his arm for her her protection and love or something like that. I'm butchering it. But it's a unique picture, and I don't know what you thought about that, but the fact that we do see Christ's hands perhaps in action performing the surgery, taking flesh and bone, and then the mystery, of course, is what did he do when he fashioned that material into a woman?
2: Yeah, it's an astonishing picture, the flesh and bone feature of it. It's mentioned in the New Testament, and and Paul uses it. Uh, he he quotes that section. Uh, so does Jesus, by the way. Yes. So it's, you know, whenever you, you find those words falling off the lips of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, you think to yourself, probably this is important, maybe more important than I am right. Giving, right. giving it credit. But to think that, okay, Adam's looked at all the animals. He's named them. Nothing corresponds to him, but the thing that now will correspond to him is made from him. It's a part of him. And so when, you know, when he exclaims, this is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, he really isn't kidding. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's the truth. Now, we learn in Revelation that, you know, the man and the woman now will become one flesh. Yeah, well, Adam and Eve were one flesh.
1: Well, let let me interrupt you on that. I I find it striking. The Bible begins with a wedding. Yeah. Has theology, story, instruction about marriage all through it, and then ends with a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of us miss that fact?
2: Yeah. I've said in my teaching of this passage that marriage is the centerpiece of creation.
1: Amen. Yeah.
2: And we undervalue marriage. Uh, As you know, in Matthew 19, when the Lord Jesus is confronted with the divorce issue. One of the things that he says that so, just stunned me when I read it, you know, one of those times when you read something you've read before, and then all of a sudden, oh, I didn't see it. But he says, uh, it was not so in the beginning. Right. So it catapults you right back into Genesis and the creation narrative. This divorce idea was not what God intended. It was uh, the the one flesh that God intended. He also says in that Matthew 19, something that you don't get in Genesis, and that is that in the subsequent marriages, God has joined them together. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, that's pretty serious. If you're fussing around with your marriage and you're wondering, well, maybe I ought to just divorce her and move on. um, You need to think about what God has been doing. It's not just about you. And, of course, in this society, we are just eat up with our own self-importance and making me happy, but that's not the intention.
1: I call it the uh, I-me-my mean view of Christianity. Yeah. It's horizontal. It's all about my vision, my plans, my dreams, my wants. My And I think we've done a disservice in the church. We haven't turned that light up and said, no, you're to glorify God in yeah. your marriage. Um, yeah. let, let's talk a little bit about this, and I know you have the same experience I have. When I officiate a wedding I will use this passage. And then there's this special presentation. Mm-hmm. And in the wedding, we say, who then gives this woman to be married to this man? Yeah. And depending on the families, I'll ask the father, you know, because sometimes they're not intact and it's complicated, but let's just say it's a good, healthy marriage. I'll say, will you do me a favor? Will you say I do instead of her mother and I? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they play along now, then in the service, I'll, tell the audience the reason I did that was because why do we have this handoff and why do we move forward? We're reenacting yeah. this garden scene. Yeah. It's not in some how to conduct a marriage book, it's the marriage instruction. The two become one. And then I say when when you know when Mike Lawson said I do He's speaking as one, for he and his wife. Mm-hmm. When when Michael Easley gave away Hannah Easley to Tyler Seymour, it's Cindy and me, but it's one. Now maybe that's being overly <laughs> ridiculous, but but I, I want to make the point. God's intention was He presented her to him.
2: Can I? Can I add uh, to it? Get yeah, in add on this to one, it, right please. Here? All right, I'm envisioning this. I have this this crazy imagination, and I can actually see passages come alive to me and i'm I'm thinking about, okay, Adam's just kind of come out he's a little sleepy, maybe he's kind of kind of coming to himself and and he's awake, and he's looking around trying to figure out what happened exactly and And now the Lord steps out of the foliage there in the garden and he brings with him this amazing creation absolutely you you you're talking about the most creative person in the universe. Who has now fashioned the woman, and he's in my in my imagery. He is holding her hand, and he is. It says he brings her. Yes. So I'm assuming he didn't just send her. Said, hey, you know, Adam's over there, and he's going to be your guy. So just once you go over there and introduce yourself. That's not what happens. All right. Now, if someone important, let's say that the president of the United States, or if you don't like him the Speaker of the House, gives you a personal present for you to cherish and take care of. What are you going to do with that? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm just living here in Kingston, America, where we have one stoplight and it works most of the time. I don't have a lot of treasures in my house, but I can tell you this, it'd get a prominent place. Right. So now you're getting something from the very hand of God himself. What are you going to do with that? This ought to change how men think about their
1: wives i've often said that chapter 223 is the most beautiful hebrew in genesis Mm. and we read it so glum bone of my bones Mm -hmm. flesh of my flesh Mm -hmm. i mean this to me is all caps Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. superlative written spoken so eloquently uh and it's interesting the man said this yeah bone of my bones flesh of my flesh you know I, i often wonder in your sanctified imagination what that scar look like? Yeah. You know, pre 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 fall. Yeah. Uh how did it heal and close? How did he know? Obviously there was, you know, spiritual anesthesia, no pain. Right. But he, he knew something was different about him. Sure. And interestingly one could argue there's a void.
2: Yeah, sure. And That's now
1: right. wow, here's one who's bone on my bone and she is my eesh out of me she's taken. <laughs>
2: She looks so much better than that. Fit. Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and historians, I mean, we've often called uh, the woman the crown of creation, yeah, right?
2: that's right. That's exactly right.
1: So, he, so help us out. How do we, you and I can talk about this stuff in superlatives all day long. You and I officiate marriages. You and I counsel couples that struggle. Mm-hmm. We have friends that have been divorced, remarried. Mm-hmm. Let, let's get Real practical. What do we do with the average, everyday, ordinary man or woman who loves Jesus, but they're they're stumbling along. Mm-hmm. Their marriage is boring. Their sex life is dead. Mm-hmm. They're you know they tolerate each other because they got kids. They're dealing with teenagers. Help help us out, Doctor Lawson.
2: Well, I I have some exercises that I put people through in, in the courses that I teach, and and here's one of them. And there's a story that accompanies it if we have time for it, but. Uh, I I say, you know, when, when the man and the woman are created in the image of God, we get that in chapter 1. So here is a, a person who is in the image of God that I am now married to. And and by the way, in the Bible, Israel was not allowed to have carved images. And remember, this is all linked together. Genesis is a part of the Pentateuch and where we came from and why we do what we do. There were, there were no carved images. Why? Because in your marriage, you're living images. You've got a living image right there in front of you. So I have couples sit down, hold hands, look at each other in the eye, and say, how do you remind me of God? And each one takes a turn back and forth. Now, you know, I often give them some time to pre-think it because they haven't been thinking that way. Right. The, the minute you get married, you start thinking about the things that, that need to be fixed instead of the things that you appreciate. You you do that before you get married. Well, you got to go back to where you were before you got married, what are the things that I appreciate? What are the character qualities? Because the image is not just physical. The image of God is the is his character, what he is like. And, and we, even though it is broken by sin, nevertheless, we still reflect that image. So how do you remind me of God? Well, let me tell you, that is a powerful, powerful exercise.
1: You know, if I was uh, sitting with Cindy right here, you know, the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that was forgiving.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, that God forgives me, and I see that personified in you. Yeah. Or, you know, or patient. And in my case, and I don't say this as a joke, she's the better parent. And and it's like, well, you know, talk about helper. Uh-huh. How do you raise four people to become young adults and She's been the parent. you know. She's been the merciful one. She's been the one that pulls me aside and says, you can't be that hard on your daughters. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know. You need to be harder on your son. <laughs> oh. but, 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 hey, we know most people don't get there. So your exercise is helpful. Give us some more. So why does it matter that she's a suitable helper, a special presentation, unique, uh, God-ordained marriage brought to the man?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you you put your finger right on it. It's interesting to me that in the Ephesians passage where this is quoted, it's my opinion that Paul is telling us what we should have known, and that is that marriage was intended to teach theology. Amen. It was intended that we should know more about God by our interaction with this other image-bearer. So this whole idea now, as you point out, what, what have I learned from my wife? In that particular passage, she teaches me how to be a church member. So I, I learn how to be uh, subordinate by virtue of watching her in in uh, the marriage respond to me. She yields to me. Uh, well, I've got to also yield so much to God. And in that particular passage, if I am loving her as Christ loved the church, which, by the way, I would have to say I have not done that yet. Can, can,
1: can I interrupt for just a second? You can. I, I'm telling you, I camp out on that. <laughs> the, just what the, the husband's instruction from God, mm-hmm. forget ever bringing up the word submission. Yeah. If the husband would do a 20% better job, and I mean that, you know, applying himself to the word and to to spirit's control, to say, I'm going to love her as Christ of the church, give myself up for her, nourish her, cherish her. We'd never have a role problem, right? You're exactly right. And unfortunately, in our culture, the, the, for all the wrong reasons, we've got this adversarial, feminist, chauvinistic, you know, man versus woman at, at humor's expense and so forth. And it's like to, to reignite gentlemen, yes. you go home and love her like Jesus loves you. And a lot of this stuff is going to take care of itself.
2: I had a group of Hispanic pastors that I was teaching in Guatemala. And I was trying to get this image thing through to them because in the machismo culture of the Hispanic world, I mean, the man is it, and he treats his girlfriend like a queen, and he treats his wife like a slave. It's just terrible. And so I brought a crucifix with me. And I had it out on the on the table, standing up. And uh, the guys' eyes are glazing over. They, you know, they're not interested in this. They're not getting it. And so I just took the crucifix, and I slammed it down on the table. Well, you could hear air go out of the room. And I said, "Hey guys, what are you concerned about? That's just an image." And then you could feel it. They got it. Mm. Now you're gonna you're gonna treat an image like that? Now I'm talking about a living image with your wife. She's not she's not a a piece of stone like that was. I said you have to understand that she is a living image bearer of God today, this morning, this noon, this night, and how you treat her as an image bearer is significant. You are teaching your children about God by the way that you treat her. She is an image bearer. She is a gift to you from God. And by the way, in case you missed it, she is also the temple of the Holy Spirit, not in this passage, but it is in First Corinthians,
1: and a co-heir to the kingdom of God. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, when you start yeah. stacking
2: these things end to end, you best be very careful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Paul was right. It's better not to marry. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to die. Your wife—that is a fact. <laughs> you're just going to
2: die. Yeah, yeah. So, so helping them become acquainted with, reacquainted with who God intended their wives to be to them. Uh, my wife has been one of the best teachers for me and uh, in the very things you talked about, her, her patience with things, which is, you know, it's supposed to be a characteristic of love. If you love somebody, you're supposed to be patient with them. I mean, that's 1 Corinthians. Well, patience is not a characteristic of me by any means. I was not born with one iota of patience. If you ever see me be acting patience, you know it's God working because I am not.
1: Patient. Oh, you might be patient in the DMV line.
2: <laughs> I ask couples, okay, what what are your children learning about God when they watch you interact?
1: With oh each other? boy, oh boy. Okay, we're going to stop there. This is getting too convicting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I've enjoyed and loved talking to Dr. Lawson about this aspect of. Uh, reigniting um, refreshing our memories we all need it every husband needs it every wife needs it yeah Um, that this is a sacred mysterious wonderful thing where two become one and uh, and as part of this big book cover to cover I want to encourage you uh, when you read through the Bible in a year if you get stuck on a passage get stuck on Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 and Revelation 17 to 19 for a while and see what he is teaching us about how important your marriage is far more important to Christ than a lot of things you and I spend time on. So, Dr. Lawson, thanks for your insights, and um, we look forward to talking to you again in the near future. God bless you. Thank you. And appreciate you. Love being
2: with you, Michael.
0: Michael Easley and Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters.